0: Part Three of Terror Out of Space by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three. Lundy wasn't surprised by the telepathic voice. Thought communication was commoner than speech and a lot simpler in many places on the inhabited worlds. Special gave its men a thorough training in it. I live, thanks to you. There was something in the quality of the brain he touched that puzzled him. It was like nothing he'd ever met before. He got to his feet, not very steadily. You came just in time. How did you know I was here? Your fear thoughts carried to us. We know what it is to be afraid, so we came. There's nothing I can say but thank you. But of course we helped. Why not? You needn't thank us. Lundy looked at the flowers burning sullenly in the gloom. "'How is it you can boss them around? Why don't they—' "'But they're not cannibals. Not like—' "'The others.' There was pure cold dread in that last thought. "'Cannibals!' Lundy looked up at the cloud of dainty blue-gray woman-things. His skin got cold and a size too small for him. Their soft golden eyes smiled down at him. We are different from you, yes, just as we are different from the fish. What is your thought? Bright things growing? Weed? Yes, they're kin to us. Kin? thought Lundy. Yeah, about like we are to the animals. Plants. Living plants were no novelty on Venus. Why not plants with thinking minds? plants that carried their roots along with them and watched you with sad, soft eyes. Let's get out of here," said Lundy. They went down along the dark tunnel and out onto the road, and the flowers yearned like hungry dogs after Lundy, but didn't touch him. He started out across the narrow plain, with the plant women drifting cloud-like around him. Seaweed. Little bits of kelp that could talk to you. It made Lundy feel queer." The city made him feel queer, too. It was dark when he first saw it from the plain, with only the moonlight glow of the sand to touch it. It was a big city, stretching away behind its barrier wall. Big and silent, and very old, waiting there at the end of its road. It was curiously more real in the dim light. Lundy lost trace of the water for a moment. It was like walking toward a sleeping city in the moonlight, feeling the secretive, faintly hostile strength of it laired and leashed until dawn. Only there would never be a dawn for this city, never any more. Lundy wanted suddenly to run away. "'Don't be afraid. We live there. It's safe.' Lundy shook his head irritably. Quite suddenly the brilliant light flared out again three regular flashes. It seemed to come from somewhere to the right, out of a range of undersea mountains. Lundy felt a faint trembling of the sand, a volcanic fissure, probably, opened when the land sank. The golden light changed the city again. Cloud Cuckoo Land at sunset, a place where you could set your boots down on a dream. When he went in through the gates he was awed, but not afraid. And then, while he stood in the square looking up at the great dim buildings, the thought came drifting down to him out of the cloud of little woman-things. It was safe, it was happy, before she came. After a long moment Lundy said, She? We haven't seen her, but our mates have. She came a little while ago and walked through the streets, and all our mates left us to follow her. They say she's beautiful beyond any of us, and—' And her eyes are hidden, and they have to see them. They have to look into her eyes or go crazy, so they follow her. The sad little blue-gray cloud stirred in the dark water. Golden eyes looked down at him. "'How did you know? Do you follow her too?' Lundy took a deep, slow breath. The palms of his hands were wet. Yes, yes, I followed her, too. We feel your thought. They came down close around him. Their delicate membranes fluttered like fairy wings. Their golden eyes were huge and soft and pleading. Can you help us? Can you bring our mates back safe? They've forgotten everything. If the Others should come—' "'The Others?' Lundy's brain was drowned in stark and terrible fear. Pictures came through it—vague gigantic dreams of nightmare. "'They come, riding the currents that go between the hot cracks in the mountains and the cold deeps. They eat, they destroy. The little woman-things were shaken suddenly like leaves in a gust of wind. We hide from them in the buildings. We can keep them out, away from our seed and the little new ones, but our mates have forgotten. If the others come while they follow her, outside and away from safety, they'll all be killed. We'll be left alone, and there'll be no more seed for us, and no more little new ones. They pressed in close around him, touching him with their small blue-gray forefins. "'Can you help us? Oh, can you help us?' Lundy closed his eyes, his mouth twitched, and set. When he opened his eyes again they were hard as agates. "'I'll help you,' he said, or die trying.' It was dark in the great square with only the pale sand glow seeping through the gates. For a moment the little blue-gray woman-creatures clung around him, not moving, except as the whole mass of them swayed slightly with the slow rhythm of the sea. Then they burst away from him outward in a wild surge of hope, and Lundy stood with his mouth open, staring. They weren't blue-gray any longer. They glowed suddenly their wings, and their dainty supple bodies, a warm soft green that had a vibrant pulse of life behind it. And they blossomed. The long slender living petals must have been retracted like the fronds of a touch-me-not while they wore the sad blue-gray. Now they broke out like coronals of flame around their small heads. Blue and scarlet and gold, poppy-red and violet and flame, silver-white and warm pink like a morning cloud streaming in the black water, streaming from small green bodies that rolled and tumbled high up against the dark dreaming buildings like the butterflies that had danced there before the sunlight was lost forever. Quite suddenly then they stopped. They drifted motionless in the water, and their colors dimmed. Lundy said, Where are they? Deep in the city, beyond our buildings here, in the streets where only the curious young ones ever go. Oh, bring them back, please bring them back.' "'If I come back myself,' said Lundy, "'I'll bring them.' He left them, hovering in the great dark square, and went on into the city. He walked down broad paved streets, channeled with wheel ruts and hollowed by generations of sandaled feet. The great water-worn buildings lifted on either side, lighted by the erratic glare of the distant fissure. The window openings, typical of most Venusian architecture, were covered by grills of marble and semi-precious stone, intricately hand-pierced like bits of jewellery. The great golden doors stood open on their uncorroded hinges. Through them Lundy could watch the life of the little plant people being lived. In some of the buildings the lower floors had been covered with sand. Plant women hovered protectively over them, brushing the sand smooth where the water disturbed it. Lundy guessed that these were seed beds. In other places there were whole colonies of tiny flower things still rooted in the sand, a pale spring haze of green in the dimness. They sat in placid rows, nodding their pastel baby coronals and playing solemnly with bits of bright weed and colored stones. Here, too, the plant women watched and guarded lovingly. Several times Lundy saw groups of young plantlings, grown free of the sand, being taught to swim by the woman creatures, tumbling in the black water like bright petals on a spring wind. All the women were the same sad blue-gray with their blossoms hidden. They'd stay that way, unless he, Lundy, could finish the job Special had sent him to do. The job he hadn't been quite big enough to handle up to now. Farrell, with the flesh flayed off his bones, and not feeling it because she was all he could think of, Jackie Smith drowned in a flooded lock because she wanted to be free, and he had helped her. Was this Lundy guy so much bigger than Farrell and Smith, and all the other men who had gone crazy over her? Big enough to catch the vampire lure in a net and keep it there, and not go nuts himself? Lundy didn't feel that big, not anywhere near that big. He was remembering things. The first time he'd seen IT in a net. The first few minutes before the wreck. When he'd heard her crying for freedom from inside the safe. Jackie Smith's face when he walked in with the water from the flooded lock. And his, Lundy's own question, Oh, Lord, what did he see before he drowned? The tight, cold knot was back in Lundy's belly again, and this time it had spurs on. He left the colony behind him walking down empty streets lit by the rhythmic flaring of the volcanic fissure. There was damage here. Pavements cracked and twisted with the settling, towers shaking down, the carved stone jalousies split out of the windows. Whole walls had fallen in, in some places, and most of the golden doors were wrecked, jammed wide open, or gone entirely. A dead city so dead and silent that you couldn't breathe with it, and so old it made you crawl inside. A swell place to go mad in, following a dream. After a long time Lundy saw them, the mates of the little seaweed women, a long, long trail of them like a flight of homing-birds, winding between the dark and broken towers. They looked like their women, a little bigger, a little coarser, with strong, tough dark-green bodies and brilliant coronals. Their golden eyes were fixed on something Lundy couldn't see, and they looked like the eyes of Lucifer yearning at the gates of heaven. Lundy began to run against the water, cutting across a wide plaza to get under the head of the procession. He unhooked the net from his belt with hands that felt like a couple of dead fish. Then he staggered suddenly, lost his footing, and went sprawling. It was as though somebody had pushed him with a strong hand. When he tried to get up, it pushed him again. Hard. The golden glare from the fissure was steadier now, and very bright. The trail of little man-things bent suddenly in a long whipping bow, and Lundy knew what was the matter. There was a current rising in the city, rising like the hot white winds that used to howl in from the sea carrying the rains. They ride the currents that go between the hot cracks in the mountains and the cold deeps. They eat, they destroy. The others, the others who were cannibals. She, led the bright trail of plant men between the towers, and there was a current rising in the streets. Lundy got up. He balanced himself against the thrust of the current, and ran, following the procession. It was clumsy work, with the water and his leaded boots. He tried to gauge where it, or she, was from the focus of the plant men's eyes. The hot lights flared up brighter, the water pulled and shoved at him. He looked back once, but he couldn't see anything in the shadows between the towers. He was scared. He shook the net out, and he was scared. Funny that it, or she, didn't see him. Funny it didn't sense his mind, even though he tried to keep it closed. But he wasn't a very big object down there in the shadows under the walls, and creating an illusion for that many minds would be a strain on anything, even a creature from outer space. He'd had the brakes once before, when he caught up with Farrell. He prayed to have them again. He got them, for what good it did him. The current caught the procession and pulled it down, close to Lindy. He watched their eyes. She was still leading them. She had a physical body, even if you couldn't see it, and the current would pull it, no matter how tiny it was. He cast his net out fast. It bellied out in the black water, and came swooping back to his pull, and there was something in it, something tiny and cylindrical and vicious, something alive. He drew the net tight, shivering and sweating with nervous excitement, and the plant men attacked. They swooped on him in a brilliant cloud, their golden eyes burned. There was no sense in them, their minds shrieked and clamored at him, a formless howl of rage and fear for her. They beat at him with their little green fins, their coronals blazed, hot angry splashes of colored flame against the dark water they wrenched at the net, tore at it, beating their membranes like wings against the rising current. Lundy was a solid, muscular little guy. He snarled and fought for the net like a wolf over a yearling lamb. He lost it anyway. He fell on his face under a small mountain of churning man-things, and lay gasping for the breath they knocked out of him, thankful for the vac-suit that saved him from being crushed flat. He watched them take the net. They clustered around it in a globe like a swarm of bees, rolling around in the moving water. Their golden eyes had a terrible stricken look. They couldn't open the net. Lundy had drawn it tight and fastened it, and they didn't have fingers. They stroked and pawed at it with their fins, but they couldn't let her out. Lundy got up on his hands and knees. The current quickened. It roared down between the broken towers like a black wind, and took the swarm of man-things with it, still clutching the net. And then the others came. End of part 3